Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. While you're turning there, I want to kind of frame our time around this, this question. Why did Jesus come to earth? Come to earth? Why, why was Jesus born? We know that's what we celebrate at Christmas time, that Jesus of Nazareth was born, that the Son of God came and, and took on a human nature. But why did he come? I trust that the message today will, will help answer that for us and, and give us a, um, a glorious uh, truth to, to meditate on throughout the week. We're in a series really based on verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, looking at the titles that are given for, for Christ, for the Messiah. But let's stand together and as I read verses 1 through 7 again, just to kind of be our, our jumping off point this morning. Again, remember, this is written to a people who were uh, facing uh, great suffering and danger. The oppression of, of their enemies coming against them, but also the reality of the, the spiritual darkness that is within them. And it's into that situation that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah here in chapter 9. Let's hear the word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire." For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Like I said, this passage is written to a people who are facing oppression from enemies, who were uh, facing spiritual darkness of, uh, among them. But I hope you see that these verses actually are very hopeful verses. They're very hope-filled verses. Right? The, it, in, in this passage, we hear promises that something is happening. God is doing something. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is at work here. God is going to bring a light, and that light will dispel the darkness, and, and joy will replace the sorrow that they're feeling. Freedom is going to come to those who are in bondage. And how and or why is this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen through this child. <laughs> Through this baby boy that is going to be born, right? 
through this, this child, through the son that is given to them, he is going to be the cause of, the, of this transformation that is being proclaimed here. And what we see as we read this passage is that it's talking about a king, right? And it's interesting when it says, for unto us a child is born. That word child actually means male child. We know that from the original Hebrew. So it's like, well, he's already said male child. Why does, why does he go ahead and say, and a son is given? And I think one of the main reasons he does that is he's pointing us and reminding us to that promise given to, to David that one of his sons would reign forever, that one of his sons would be the, the promised Messiah, right? And that's the language we see it throughout that passage, especially at the end, that this son that's being given, he's going to reign from the throne of David forever. So this is talking about the, the Messiah, the promised king who has come or is coming, and that king is going to bring about this transformation. That king is the great light. That king is going to be the one who, who frees them from their bondage, who brings joy to their sorrow. And so that's what we're studying, then. We're studying who is this king. We know that um, the New Testament makes very clear that, that the promised Messiah is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Matthew chapter 4 quotes from some of these verses here in Isaiah 9. He says, Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. He is the, the promised son of Abraham. He is the promised son of David. He is the promised Messiah. He is the king. And so specifically then, during this four-week series, as we study these four titles given for the, the son, given for the king, there in, in verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We know those are talking about Jesus. And those are revealing to us who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing. And so my prayer, again, as we go through this series, is that as we meditate on those titles, that it will just enlarge our, our adoration for Christ as we understand and get our minds and, and faith strengthened around who he is and what he has done. So last week we considered how Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Literally, he is that wonder-working counselor. He is, he is God who works wonders. Well, today then we want to move to the second title, Mighty God. Mighty God. So you look at Mighty God, there's actually two words in the Hebrew there, and I want to explain what both of those words are because it's going to help us understand as we unpack this this morning then. Mighty God in the original Hebrew is El Gabor. El is one of the names for God in the Bible, right? And so it's El, the word El is often paired with other words when it's describing who God is. El Shaddai means God Almighty. El Elyon means God Most High. El Olam means God Everlasting. And here in Isaiah 9, 6, we have El Gabor. So El is God. What's Gabor then? Well, Gabor literally means warrior, warrior. It's used as a noun over 150 times in the Old Testament, and it's, it's almost always in a military context. It's describing a warrior, a champion, a hero, if you will. When it's used as an adjective, as it is here, it's often translated mighty, and the idea is of a mighty warrior, right? And so, just to give you a couple of examples of how that word is used in, in the Bible for other things. The word mighty 
Many of you remember David's mighty men. 2 Samuel 23 describes David's mighty men. They were men who were what? Great warriors. They were great soldiers. They were famous for their exploits in battle. So there, there's that adjective, but, there, but in that case it's attached to men. They're mighty men. El, but El Gabor, mighty God, obviously is only ever used in the Bible to describe God himself. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. So there it's mighty God, mighty and awesome God. It's talking about God. Isaiah 10, 21, just one chapter away from where we've started this morning. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. So whenever you see mighty and God, again, this kind of sounds uh, like Captain Obvious here, right? But it's only ever used of God. And you say, well, why are you making that point? Well, again, these titles are showing us the deity of the Messiah. That he's not going to be just a human king. He's going to be a divine king. Right? And so we... We understand that now by the, with, as the New Testament describes the incarnation. That God himself took on human nature, became a man, and reigns as that mighty king. But I want to take you back to the question that I had for you. Now that we understand what El Gabor means, again, you could translate it, it would be awkward, but it's kind of like warrior God. Or God, the, the one who's mighty in battle. Now... Back to our question, why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born on that first Christmas? When we think about the incarnation, when we look at the nativity scenes and we see the baby in the manger, what kind of pictures are, should come to our mind when we think about why he came? Well, here's the, the big idea I want you to go away with today. Jesus came to rescue sinners like you and me. Jesus came as a mighty warrior to do battle with the great enemies of our soul in order to rescue us. And so, I don't have an outline this morning like point one, point two, point three. but the, the big point, the takeaway point is this. And this is a, a truth I hope you glory in today. God has come to rescue you in Jesus Christ. Christian today, that's the, that's the truth that you can just rejoice in and cling to and celebrate in all year long. God has come to rescue you in the person of Jesus Christ. As you celebrate Christmas, as you think about the Son of God coming to earth to be born of a virgin, understand and rejoice that Christmas declares that God loves you and that God demonstrated that love by coming to rescue you in Jesus Christ. And so that's the truth that I want us to just unpack today. God loves us. He has come to rescue us in Jesus Christ. So what, what, what are all the implications of that? What, how do we arrive at that truth? Well, we start here. We needed rescued, didn't we? We needed rescued. Why else would he need to do that, right? When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, it plunged all of mankind and creation itself, the Bible says, it plunged it into, under the curse of sin. And so now every person 
including you and me, is born enslaved to sin. That means by nature our hearts are turned away from God where they should be and turned in on ourselves. (laughs) We're naturally selfish. We're naturally self-centered. Our relationships then are... are Sin affects everything, right? Our relationships now are marred with conflict, with deceit, with selfishness by nature, apart from Christ. Think about society at large, right? We see why we needed a rescuer. Society itself is plagued with with loneliness, with strife, with brokenness, with disorder. We obviously right now we turn on the news and we hear about wars and and terrorism and, and government corruption. That's all commonplace because of sin. We, we, we know that um, again and again we hear of natural disasters, right? How sin has affected creation itself. We need rescued from all of this. We have earthquakes. We have tsunamis. We have, we have uh, floods. We have uh, hurricanes, famines, fires. All these things that bring such devastation and, and hurt and brokenness. We know our bodies themselves are broken and, and stricken under the curse of sin. That, that our bodies, our physical bodies are subject to disease, to deterioration. And like I said, our hearts are, are enslaved as well by nature. Right? We're enslaved to, to, the, to satisfying sinful desires that only lead to our destruction. We're we're enslaved to this notion that, that we don't need God, that we can live apart from God, or if we, if we do turn to God, we, we make, want to make Him after our image, after our likeness, to do what we want Him to do. We are um, broken, and we are enslaved, and we need rescued. And that's what this title for Jesus reminds me of. It reminds me that we need a rescuer, and that God in His grace provided that rescuer. God himself came to rescue us because he knew we could not rescue ourselves, right? We cannot fix these problems ourselves. Think about how the world tries to do that, right? We say, oh, well, let's just try to have diplomacy. Let's try to have coalitions. Somehow, let's try to establish peace and maintain peace. And praise God for those things. Those, those do help to some degree, but they, they can't bring lasting peace, ultimately, Right? Or we think, man, we just need more education. Or if we can just try to uh, create a bunch of systems of rehabilitation, maybe that can, can help vanquish sinful desires. Not that the society uses that term sinful desires, right? But more education, more re- rehabilitation, that can get someone on a good path. Those things help a little bit, but ultimately they don't, they're not the cure, right? Or we think medical advancement. Right? Yes, that may help us to live longer in quality of life, but it cannot eradicate death. Religion and spirituality, that's what we need. Let's, let's pour ourselves into that. But man-made religion, spirituality, that doesn't reconcile us to God. Right? So we can't rescue ourselves. We can't fix these problems ourselves. We need a rescuer. And again, that's the good news of the gospel, specifically during this season. That's the good news of Christmas is that God himself has come to rescue us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has not left us without hope. Remember how Ephesians 2 describes us apart from Christ, we were without hope. But God didn't leave us in that state of being without hope. He's not left us doomed to suffer the consequences that we do deserve. In amazing love and mercy, 
God himself has come to rescue sinners like you and me. And that's what mighty God reminds us of. God the warrior, God the mighty warrior has come. The eternal son of God, the second member of the triune God, left the glories of heaven, left the the, the joys, the securities of heaven to enter into this broken and sin-cursed world. What amazing love and grace, right? That the divine would, would add to himself a human nature. Philippians 2 describes how he humbled himself to become a man, right? And he humbled himself to become a babe in a manger, dependent on his parents. So there we have full deity, but wrapped in frail humanity. And so Jesus experienced the limits and weaknesses of humanity. That's part of that suffering that we heard about in Hebrews 2, right? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, experienced the limits and the weaknesses of humanity. He experienced the pain and the chaos of a broken world. He experienced the attacks and the temptations from the evil one. He willingly subjected himself to this lifelong suffering during his life here on earth. Why? Because he was on a rescue mission. Because he was on a mission from the Father for the good of his people and for the glory of his Father. Our warrior king was on a mission. As the light of the world, Jesus was invading the domain of darkness. He had come to set his people free from their bondage to sin and to death and to Satan himself. He had come to set his people free. He had come to rescue them. Our warrior king had come to do battle with the spiritual forces of darkness. And so I pray that we're, I pray that our hearts are enlarged by this picture of Jesus, right? I think part of, you know, the way God has made us is that we, we, we long for and we have affinity for the story of a, a hero, right? Why do so many movies and books and novels Talk about a hero, a rescuer coming. I think God has made us that way because it points us to the, the, the glories of the gospel. It points us to what God is doing throughout history. Right? And so, greater than any movie hero, greater than any Marvel hero that you can think of, is our warrior king. God, the mighty warrior The Lord Jesus Christ, he has come to rescue us. Think of of his life and ministry. It was him doing battle against the domain of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. And that started, uh, you know, the Bible starts that in earnest by describing um, his, his baptism, but then he's immediately led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, right? It's like Jesus faces off with Satan in the wilderness there, being tempted ongoing by the devil for 40 days. And how does does that first battle go? Jesus is victorious, right? He emerges, unlike Adam, who was in paradise and and fell to temptation. Here Jesus is in a barren wilderness, but as the second Adam, he emerges victorious, he, he rebuffed every temptation from the devil. Matter of fact, he rebuked Satan with the word of God while clinging to the promises and the goodness of God the Father while, by staying true to the mission for which he had come to, to rescue his people through his suffering and death. 
on the cross. So there's our our warrior king emerging from the wilderness victorious. And then as he begins his public ministry, our warrior king comes in power to battle against the kingdom of darkness. So when we read the gospel accounts, every time we, we see Jesus casting out a demon, every time we see Jesus healing a disease, understand he was pushing back the darkness. He was reversing the curse of sin. He was was doing battle against Satan and his minions. He was uh, demonstrating and announcing the the arrival of the kingdom of God. He was portraying what what Christ was doing in us through the gospel spiritually. When when leprosy is being healed, when when blind eyes are are being made to see, that's all pointing to the truth of the gospel. That's what he does in us spiritually. But it's our warrior king rescuing us. It's it's an assault. It's a battle happening against the spiritual forces of darkness. Of course, that that battle, Christ's uh, assault on the domain of darkness, reached its culmination at the cross. And that's what is so... um, surprising about the gospel that's what what peter talks about is a stumbling or sorry paul talks about as a stumbling block to jews it's foolishness to to greeks that this this great and mighty king he rescues his people by dying by suffering on the cross not by leading a great army and kicking out romans no by willingly laying down his life in the place of his people. So his, his assault on the domain of darkness culminated in his substitutionary death on the cross where Christ was rescuing his people by paying the penalty for their sins. Remember, Christ's uh, perfect sinless life and yet then sacrificial death fully satisfied the Father's wrath. That's what it meant in Hebrews 2 when it said he's the propitiation. His death was a sacrifice that satisfied God's justice, God's wrath, so that God could forgive us without sweeping our sin under the rug. He could forgive us because our sins had been paid for by Christ. They had received the punishment that they deserved. So Christ's great victory was accomplished at the cross. And that's why as he dies, he says, It is finished. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Nothing more needed to be done. Access to God had been provided. Salvation had been paid for. Eternal redemption had been secured for all who believe. And then that victory was was demonstrated through the resurrection three days later. And so again, I want us to see just like this great story, this great power, this great victory as Christ emerges from the grave in a glorified resurrected body. He had taken on Satan. He had taken on sin. He had taken on death. All the great enemies of our soul. And he had emerged victorious over them all. Three days later, three days after his death, Jesus rose from the dead declaring his victory over sin and death and demonstrating that we would share in that victory. Demonstrating that we too would have a future resurrection that all who are united to Christ in faith will one day be raised and we'll we'll get to have that that victory over death itself so Christ's death and resurrection was his decisive victory over sin death and Satan 
That's how he rescued us. The debt of sin for all who believe was paid in full by Christ and accepted by the Father. Colossians 2.14. I'm just going to give us several verses. We don't have time to turn to them. But I encourage you, you can write them down and, and read, read it yourself. Our debt of sin was paid in full by Christ. It was accepted by the Father. Colossians 2.14. The ruling power of sin then was broken in our lives. Again, this is his rescue mission. That's Romans 6.14. Death itself, uh, the, our final enemy, was swallowed up in victory by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.54. Here's a, here's a great verse. Colossians 2.15. Let me set it up for you. Through Christ's finished work on the cross, Jesus then, Colossians 2.15 says, disarm the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Do you hear this this warrior-type language, this battle-type language, this victory language? Christ has triumphed over these evil forces. How? Well, Jesus has disarmed Satan. He's disarmed his minions from their ability to bring any accusations against us that are going to stick in God's courtroom. Because, again, God's holy justice has been satisfied. The the verdict has been given in God's courtroom. All who believe are declared righteous by God, the judge. They are justified by God's grace on account of Christ. That's how he rescues us. That's the great victory. Then having obtained that eternal redemption for his people, right? Again, thinking about how Jesus emerged from the grave victorious. He taught and was with his disciples for 40 days. And then after 40 days, he ascended to to heaven. He ascended to his heavenly throne. That was like him on his victory march. Going to his throne, seated, having accomplished his mission. Having secured eternal redemption. And now he's seated in that place of victory. He is seated in that place of absolute authority, the Bible says. Because our rescuer has come and he has won the victory. Obviously, he is, his rescue mission is now being lived out through the Spirit, through the gospel, through the church, Right? And that's what the ascended Jesus did. He sent the promised Holy Spirit to indwell his people and to lead the advance of his kingdom. So we still have this this battle language that's happening now, this battle picture that's going forth now. The the Gospels tell us that that Jesus has bound Satan. The strong man is bound and his his house is being plundered. Excuse me, Satan was that strong man. Christ has bound him so that he's no longer able to deceive the nations. But as the gospel goes forth and as the Spirit gives new birth, people from all tribes and tongues and nations are coming to faith in Christ. So the rescuer is is rescuing his people. The warrior king is rescuing his people. Through the word of God, the Holy Spirit powerfully brings life to dead hearts, powerfully and graciously gives faith to To turn to Christ, trusting in Him alone for our salvation. I love Colossians 1.13, where it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the, the, the kingdom of His beloved Son. 
What a, what a picture of a rescue mission, right? God through Christ has delivered us from the domain of darkness, from that domain that we were all born enslaved to, to where, where we're separated from God, where we're, we're captivated by the sinful philosophies of this world, where we're on that broad path that leads to destruction, where we're thinking that life is all about how much you accumulate or life is about me trying to make myself right with God or whatever the, the lie was that we were blinded or captured by. Christ has rescued us from that. He has delivered us, powerfully delivered us from that domain of darkness and transferred us even now into his eternal kingdom of light. As we'll see in 1 Peter when we resume our our study there, he has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So I say all this to, I trust you're encouraged through these truths. I pray that one of your big uh, applications will be continuing to believe the gospel and rejoice in the gospel. Christian, rejoice today that you have been rescued. That Jesus, almighty God, that Jesus, your conquering king, has rescued you forever from sin and death and Satan. That is why Jesus came. That is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to lay down his life to rescue us. Our warrior God fought for us and he won the victory. Here's a great verse to write down. 1 John 3, 8. A good verse to think about, especially at Christmas time. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. Think of what Jesus has rescued us from. Think of what our warrior king, God, the mighty warrior, has rescued us from. He's rescued us from God's wrath. Jesus bore the full penalty we deserved because of our sins. And so we can rejoice with Scripture that says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been rescued from God's wrath, loved ones. Jesus has rescued us from the enslaving power of sin. We who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, Romans 6, 17 says. So now by the power of the Spirit, we can flee temptation and glorify God through righteous living. All right, so we have been rescued, and in a sense we are continuing to be rescued moment by moment, day by day, as we walk in the Spirit. He rescues us from the temptations that we face. Jesus has rescued us from the futility of this fallen world. All right, I kind of alluded to that a minute ago, but think about that. You've been rescued from the futility of this fallen world. God has revealed to us his plan. His plan to unite all things in Christ, Ephesians 1.10 says. He's shown us that the things of this world are passing away, 1 John 2.17. And he, he tells us then that we are to live and we can now live for the glory of God. We can live now for things that will last for his kingdom and his glory. What an what a amazing rescue. <laughs> He's rescued us from wasting our lives. God has rescued us from the futility of this fallen world. 
Jesus has rescued us from a life of hopelessness and despair. Think about that. And again, we see that especially around times of, of the holidays, but not just the holidays. I mean, there is a, an epidemic of suicide going on in our nation, right, and in this world. People are in despair. People are without hope. And the gospel is the answer, loved ones. And so, you know, as we sing these Christmas carols tonight, and we're singing about hope has come, peace has come, it's true. Jesus has rescued us from a life of hopelessness and despair. Those without Christ, what do they do? They strive in vain to satisfy what is really, unbeknownst to them, a God-shaped hole in their souls. Because we know that all people are restless until they find their rest in Christ. And Jesus has rescued us from that life of hopelessness, from that life of restlessness, because he has reconciled us to the Father. He's filled that God-shaped hole with God himself. Loved ones, Jesus has rescued us from the fear of death. And when we heard that explicitly said in our scripture reading this morning, I'll read for you again Hebrews 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What was Satan's ace card? It was death, right? The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that very ace and used it to defeat Satan himself. He died on the cross and then rose victorious over death so that now all of us who are in Christ no longer fear death. What a blessing that is. What a rescue that is, right? We, our salvation is already but and not yet, right? So we're, we still experience a lot of the effects of the curse, Right, including our bodies are still wasting away. Our bodies will one day die unless Christ returns first. But we've been rescued from the fear of that happening because as Paul says, we know to live is Christ but to die is gain. Death has lost its sting, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Because now death is, is merely used to usher us into, into glory. And yes, it leaves others with, with um, grief and loss. But we know that Christians uh, don't grieve as those without hope, right? When our loved one in Christ dies, we know they're in glory. They're, they're finally at peace. Praise God. And that one day we'll see them, and, and most importantly, one day we'll be with our Savior, the resurrected God-man. Jesus has rescued us. From so many things, so many aspects of the curse. And like I said, he continues to rescue us. He continues to, to fight for us. His work of securing redemption is done, but his ministry to us continues. He is a faithful and sympathetic high priest. Again, he has given us his spirit to indwell us, to continue to minister to us, and to continue to rescue us. Jesus rescues us from doubt and lack of assurance. How? By his spirit testifying with our spirit that we are children of God. 
wow, what a rescue that is, right? When, when be, usually it's because of our sin or whatever, we're, and then Satan tries to accuse us, right? He does accuse us, but his accusations don't stick in God's courtroom anymore. And we're reminded of the gospel. The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit. We are children of God. Romans says that he has, God has poured his love into us through his Holy Spirit. So the Spirit testifies and makes real the love that God has for us. We are loved by God. We are secure. He rescues us from that doubt, from that lack of assurance. Jesus rescues us from the snares of the devil that are still laid before us. How? By providing a way of escape to every temptation we faced. We face. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. All right? We still live in this, in this, uh, in this uh, fallen world. Satan is still the prince of the power of the air for, for now. And so, yes, this world is littered with, with booby traps, if you want to say. Temptations to fall into sin. But God, in, through, in Christ, through His Spirit, is rescuing us from that. For one, by, like I said, uh, illuminating that truth to us, but then by walking with us in this life. And every temptation we face, the Spirit is there prompting us, guiding us, providing a way of escape. May God help us to, to be walking in the Spirit and take that way of escape. Jesus continues to rescue us. Again, he has rescued us from the futility of this world, but we know because we have remaining sin, we're, we're still prone to go back to that. We're still prone to want to find our security in the things of this world, to put our hope in things that are passing away. And so he keeps rescuing us from that by reminding us, no, the things of this world are fleeting, but you have a glorious inheritance awaiting you. Christ has secured your inheritance and he shares it with you. In grace, we are co-heirs with Christ. One day we will be with God in glory. Ten, a million times better than anything this world can offer. So just the way my mind has kind of tried to frame this message, talking about what Jesus has done to rescue us, how he's continuing to rescue us, and how he will one day rescue us fully and finally, right? And that's what we long for. That's our blessed hope, that Jesus, our warrior God, he already has powerfully rescued us, and one day he will return for us and rescue us once and for all from all the pain and the sorrow and the sin of this broken world. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 reminds us of that, of that blessed hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Praise God. One day we will be rescued forever. <laughs> One day our rescue will be final and we'll be in a place of no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death. And there won't be any more need for ongoing rescue. We'll be with him forever. And so that's what we're waiting for. And as we wait, like I said, we're still in this fallen world. But we can take heart 
And Jesus himself told us to take heart in what he has accomplished. John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So you see how this truth that, that Jesus is our warrior king, that he is God, the mighty warrior, that he has come and rescued us, we can take heart in that and knowing that he has already won the victory. It's done. So Christian, take heart today. As you struggle daily, as you and I both battle daily with sin, with sorrow, with suffering, we can take heart because Jesus has secured the victory. Sin, though it dogs us now and sometimes causes us to trip up, we know one day it will be eradicated. Satan, he still shoots his fiery arrows of, of fear, of doubt, of discouragement, but we know his doom is sure. One day he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. We still, again, battle with the, the, the pain and the, and the grief of, of death, but we know that Jesus has secured the victory. He has overcome that death will not be the last word, that one day we will rise with him. So we have this assurance that Jesus has overcome. He has purchased our salvation and secured the victory over all our enemies. Our warrior God, our conquering king, has fought for us and triumphed. And Satan in this fallen world cannot do anything about that. They cannot take away his victory. They can't, no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. In Christ, then, we are more than conquerors, right? He's the one who's conquered. He's the one who has won the victory. And in Christ, then, we are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37 says, through him who loved us, because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 8.39. We are secure. Jesus, our mighty God, our warrior God, has rescued us and will bring us safely home to himself in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your great victory. And we, we know that that victory was such a demonstration of, of love and of humility and of grace and mercy to us and also of power. that you have defeated our greatest, our most powerful enemies, enemies before whom we had no hope. But you have crushed the, the head of the serpent. We, we can, along with Paul, we can literally sneer at death now and say, where is your death? Where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We're in awe of you. I pray you would uh, continue to be glorified by, by rescuing more and more people, even in our midst, in our families and in our workplaces. And uh, Use us, Lord, as your ambassadors to rescue people. And may your people be encouraged today. Remind them of the rescue that you have secured for them. Help us to live in that truth. And we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We, we sing along with those hymns, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and rescue us. 
We praise you that you came the first time and we know you're coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing a final song of praise.